We're starting a new series this week. And it's going to run right up until we right before we right when we hit Easter. Easter will kick off another new series. And I'm very excited. Guess what, folks? Easter is four weeks away. Four weeks. And this is a big deal in all of Christendom. Not just Celebration Church, but everywhere. Why? Why is Easter such a big deal? Because here is this time when when people get off work and people are thinking about it and yes you know people try to throw the little bunny in it and all of these other little things in it but we understand this time when we celebrate the fact that our savior died was buried and rose again and the world's attention begins to turn to that historic fact the world's attention begins to turn to that so what better time for us than to connect with people that it's already being a big deal. That it's already a big deal. So I want you to begin to think about that and begin to think about who in your life needs a fresh connection with God. That's going to be a prime time in their schedule, in their life, for that to be already there. And so I want you to begin to think about that. If a name comes to your mind, I would run with it. I'd say that's God saying, why don't you talk to that person And we're believing God for great, great things this coming Easter. So that's just four weeks away. Well, getting into this, go ahead and take your U-version notes and and whatnot. You don't be intimidated by all those scriptures. Saying Brandon has 23 minutes to get this done. And there's no way he can do it. Let's just see if I can. Because this ink series is about it is written. And the role that the word of God should play in our lives. See, the Bible for us, it's not just a religious book for us. For other, the rest of the world sees it maybe as just one more religious manuscript. But for us, that's not what it is. For us, the Bible, it reveals the very heart of God. And it should become the baseline. It should play this huge role in our lives. See, knowing what God has to say on any given issue should be the place that that guides us in our choice making if you want to make life-giving choices we just spent the first half of the year talking about that that jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly and that it comes down to our choices well if we're going to make life-giving decisions folks it has to be decisions based on what god has said is right and the only way we know that is to be connected with and understand The word of God. See, Psalms 119, 105 says, The word is a lamp to my my feet and a light for my path. It's a lamp for my feet and it's a light for my path. It shows me where I am and where I need to go. At Celebration Church, we say our growth, our personal growth is guided by two questions. Where am I and which way forward from here? Because guess what? We're all somewhere. And God can take us all forward from right everywhere we are. But you've got to understand it. Your your life is somewhere. Your finances are somewhere. Your relationships in your life are somewhere. And God wants to take those forward. And you have to be willing to honestly answer both of those questions. And the word of God lights your feet and lights your path. It shows you where you are and where you need to go. It is a nothing else defines it in our lives like that. Years ago, I came across an article that I just was absolutely amazed at. And it just so explained how we should be, as believers, should be guided by the words of God. Guided by words. I am an amateur skier. I'm by no means a pro. 
I, I'll do a black slope every once in a while, but I pick and choose them real carefully. And I, just so I can say I went down a few, I'm not a great skier, but I, I can ski a whole day, not fall, enjoy myself. But I'm telling you, it's, it's, it can definitely be a challenge. And sadly, every year, there is somebody on a slope somewhere that got out of control, came down the mountain, out of, hit, a, hit something and died. I mean, it's a deadly thing. It's, it's a fun sport. We love it. Just went with my family and took my kids, and it's a blast. But it can be a deadly thing. And then so I read this article about this group of blind skiers. These people are blind. They cannot see the slopes. And they ski. You're like, this makes no sense. I need every faculty I can possibly have. If there was a way I could hear the mountain better, I would need that to ski. I need every sense I possibly can to get myself down the mountain and hear the most important one in it is taken away. Or is it? Maybe seeing isn't as important as another sense that we have. Because the way they do it is they have somebody that is their guide and calls their turns to them. They're on the side of a mountain. They can't see an obstacle. They can't see anything else. And they turn on command. And somebody else is guiding their path. And telling them where to turn and where to do it. And then they come down and are able to make it down the mountain. Because they make their turns and do it. And enjoy the outdoors and enjoy this. Based simply on somebody else's words. You talk about a high trust relationship. Everything is riding on that. And what a beautiful picture of us negotiating the, the difficulties and the, and the potential pitfalls and all of the different stuff of life. That's what this means. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God wants to be the one guiding us down the slopes, avoiding the moguls, avoiding the great big ski lift pole thing in the middle of the deal, avoiding those things and enjoying what skiing was supposed to be, enjoying what life is supposed to be. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of it. We're going to spend a lot of time in Matthew 4 over the next few weeks. But here in Matthew 4, 4, Jesus has been tempted. He's been in the wilderness for 40 days. He's been praying. He's, he's there. His, his earthly ministry is about to begin. The enemy comes in to try to undercut him and tries to tempt him. And here is Jesus' response. It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The enemy had tried to get him to do a little magic trick and take some stones and turn it to bread and fill his tummy. He was hungry. The Bible says it, that after 40 days, he was hungry. And he was tempted to handle it in another way. And Jesus' response should be our same response. We don't live on bread alone. We don't live on these other things that we can get our hands on, our eyes on. We live on the very words that come out of the mouth of God. And here is what he's quoting. Because he says, it's written. So his response to this is to hold on to the word. He is the word incarnate. He is, the, it says the, the, in John it says, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is He's God himself. And he could, have, he could have written a new scripture right there. He could have come up with something just really awesome right there. But he didn't. He did what you and I can do. Which is go to what God has already said. 
And he's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger. This is referring to the, to the children of Israel after the exodus, after they came out of Egypt. Uh, you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you or your fathers had known, to teach you that man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. One of the very first things that God did with a nation of people that he had taken out of Egypt and he was teaching them to follow him was this. We don't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Hosea goes on to say, Hosea 4, 6, says that my people perish for lack of knowledge. They perish. They suffer for lack of knowledge. You know, so many, so many times we have the little thing in our culture that says ignorance is bliss. Bible says ignorance is deadly. That's why we have to, that's why we have to get into the word. That's why we are on our third time of writing a book together. Of reading through the Bible. And people, and you being bloggers and writing and seeing what God is revealing to you. That's why I encourage it. And that's why I invite y'all into that process. So that I give every reason we possibly can for you to spend time in the word of God. That you need to. It guides you. And Jesus, he was our ultimate example. And we're about to just click through a bunch of scripture right here. But I want, I want us to concrete this down. This isn't just... Something some preacher says so that we can look, so we'll spend more time in the holy book that has to do with our faith. No. Maybe if it was just a religion, yeah, but it's not. This is a relationship. And so this is a really big deal. And we see that Jesus repeatedly, over and over and over again, and this is by no means going to be an exhaustive list. We don't have enough time. But he repeatedly referenced scripture as his basis for his decision making. Over and over again in our family, we come to the thing that we're trying to figure out what to do. So what does the word of God have to say on this issue? And guess what? There's not something that the word of God has to say on every issue. Like, do you go to Outback or Chili's? You won't find that one. Okay? There are principles that will help guide you on what you need to order when you get to one of those. Taking care of our body, our temple, all of those different things. But not on those decisions, some, some of those. But the word of God guides us over and over and over again. And the enemy, ah, the enemy over and over again wants to come in and try to, to derail us and to take us off track. But let's look here at Matthew 11. Here, <clears throat> we're going to, I just want to go ahead and read it. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd. Here's John. John was the forerunner in front of Jesus. He's been baptizing people. People have been coming to a place of repentance under his ministry. And, but there's a little bit of, of murmuring. He's not what they thought he would be kind of a guy. Here's this guy who, who lives out in the wilderness and he wears... You, talk, you think we're casual. You think I'm a casual dress minister. This guy wore like this little coat of just some camels there. It looked like he threw a rug and a belt on and went to preaching. I mean, it was like, dude, come on, seriously, get dressed, something here. And he's out there and he eats locusts and wild honey and has this different kind of diet and he's a different kind of guy in a different kind of location. And, and so and people are just kind of going, what's up with this guy? And so Jesus asked him, what did would you go into the desert to see? Did you go to see a reed swayed by the wind? 
Do you really think that this, this powerhouse guy was going to be some wimpy kind of guy? Why are you upset that he preaches with such authority and such command? You think he was just going to be just this little wimpy guy? No. Did you go, if not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? Well, no. One who wear fine clothes are in the king's palaces. You marched out here to the wilderness to find him. Why do you think it's weird that he looks like a man that belongs in the wilderness? These people were just, they, were just, they just weren't getting it. And he says, what did you go out to see then? Because they're trying to figure this John guy out. And he says, a prophet? Jesus said, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you and he's referencing malachi 3 1 see i will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me then suddenly the the lord whom you're seeking will come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant god's relationship um whom you desire will come says the lord almighty and guess what john the baptist message was prepare the way of the lord it wasn't like you had to do this big bible code cryptic thing Is John the one that's preparing the way of the Lord? Hmm, his message is, prepare the way of the Lord. Maybe so. Maybe he's that guy. And Jesus points to Scripture for people to make their decisions on over and over again. Let's look at Matthew 21. Jesus entered entered into the temple area. And this is one where the normal picture of Jesus, okay? You take the normal unstudied person picture of jesus and he's going to be sitting there with a sweet perfect complexion um look whiter than me and which he wasn't a white guy and uh sitting there with like a lamb on one arm and like a little kid on another arm and a blissful little not full smile and just a kind of a half smile and it's just this picture of like manly sweetness okay And so you have that, and then you come to this story where Jesus braids a whip. He don't go and buy one. He didn't trip over one and find one, so I'll use it. He makes it. He makes it. He has his own A-team creation sequence there. If you tell him the story of Jesus, the cool music would come on, and he's making the deal, and you see the cool shots of his hands and and all that stuff, and you'd hear the A-team music going on. He makes the whip himself. And then he goes in and he begins to cleanse the temple. And he begins to be aggressive. And he's not just talking, you shouldn't do this. He comes in and pachink, thumps their table over. Stuff is flying everywhere. Guess what? The Bible says he never used the whip. Of course, here's a carpenter with carpenter arms holding a whip. Who's going to mess with him? They just kind of all run away and get all freaked out. And so here he is, and he has this moment that seems so un-Jesus-y. When he tears stuff up. And he's just tearing stuff up, and he's running people out. And people, instead of running to him and like, oh, heal me, they're running afraid of him, thinking they're about to need some healing. It 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 is a different scene, but he does this based on the word of God. Let's look at verse 13. And it says, <clears throat> it is written, he said to them. 
he, again, he didn't just come up with his own thing. He references the word of God. It is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And he's quoting their favorite prophet, Isaiah, the big daddy. They're, he's quoting Isaiah 56, 7. And I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. In that place, Jesus wasn't just, he didn't just pop a screw. He didn't just all of a sudden go off. It was guided by scripture. His decisions, all of those different things. He said, this violates what my daddy said. And he told you all through the prophet Isaiah Let's bring this thing right. We see him again in Matthew 26. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. Here he is about to be stabbed in the back. He's about to have somebody undercut him, but he understands it and he references the word of God. The son will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not even been born than Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, It is you. So here it is. It's, it's the one who dipped his hand into the bowl, into the food with him. And he references right there to Judas, right to his face. And says this one. Psalm 41.9 Even my close friend, whom I trust, who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. This is what's written. They're living that prophesied scene right there. And then he quotes it to them. He doesn't leave it in his guys. He understands and he points it out. Judas does it anyways. But that Jesus was guided in this. It brought this understanding. It brought this firm strength into him. Matthew 26. Then Jesus told them. He's about to go. We just celebrated his completed work on the cross. And he's about to go to it. And it was difficult for him. But he chose to do it because of his, the joy that was set before him. But Jesus told them as they were going to all desert him. First, first Judas stabs him in the back. And then everybody that he's poured years of his life. Lifelong friends are about to ditch him. And he says, this very night you will all fall away from me. For it is written... I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And he's quoting Zechariah 13, which says, strike the, sheep, strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Over and over and over again, we see Paul over and over and over again quoting scripture, guiding, bringing that frame of reference. This place, again, the word of God is a frame of reference for us to live our lives. See, trusting God means basing our decisions on His promises and not our perceptions. His promises and not our perceptions. I've done a little bit of building in my day. I understand enough, you know, you, you need a level. And that's what the Word of God is that for us. It begins this, this plumb line, what we should build against. But one day I was in a hurry and I was building a stage at a different theater, different movie theater. And uh, for our youth group, and I had all the lumber, and I had all the time, and I had a helper. And I look around, and I don't have a level. And I'm like, ugh, I know I need a level, but I noticed something. I think I have a stroke of genius. My wife ever gets nervous when I have strokes of genius. And I look against the wall, and at the bottom, this is a cinder block building. And you got these nice straight lines 
of cinder block and I worked in high school on masonry construction crew and I know a mason doesn't go anywhere without a level. One of them good, expensive wood levels that if you do things wrong, they say they're going to hit you in the head with it. Thank goodness I never got hit in the head, but I got threatened. But I know they use a level. So I'm like, all right, these guys used a level to build that. I need a level that was built with a level. I'll eyeball it. And I'll have somebody adjust the board. And then when I think it's level with that, then it'll be level. I'll use somebody else's leveling. And then we'll all be good. I was set it, set the board. Everything was nice and perfect. It was consistently wrong. Consistent. Had the wrong slope all the way around. I'm telling you, you set a Coke up there or anything, and it would roll from the back of the seat and just roll right off. It was just sloped. I told everybody it was on purpose because we had our sound equipment at the back and we didn't want teenagers to tump over stuff and that way all the water rolled away from It's pretty smart, huh? Okay. Nobody believed it either. I did say that, though. And, uh, but anyways, my problem, here was my issue. Here was my issue is I was trying to level off of someone else's level and I'm just trying to eyeball it. See, that's why you need to read the Word of God yourself. So many times we want to say, look, man, Russ is a great guy. Russ reads the Word of God. I'll kind of look at him and line up off of his lineup, and I'll be all right. If Russ is lining up with the Word of God, Russ is going to be all right. I'm trying to line up off of Russ. I'm going to be wrong. Does that make Russ wrong? No, it makes me wrong. It makes me wrong. You need to read the Word of God. You need to do it. You need this. You need to understand that it is written. Guess what? You go put a level off of those cinder blocks, they were right. I was the one that got off. We need to do it. We need to do this. We're going to shut it down here with Matthew 27. (coughs) That Jesus embraces the toughest thing in his life ever, which was the crucifixion. He says, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Eloi, Eloi, lama savakthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's quoting Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for some reason, the people around that all knew that thought he was crying out to Elijah. They all knew the psalm. And they're like, the minds go crazy. Oh, he's calling out for Elijah. Let's see if Elijah comes. No, he's crying out to his father God. And it's not hyperbole. It's not this, oh, my, you've forsaken me, and God didn't really forsake him. At that point, we begin to look at the full context that God, because the sin of the world had been set on him, the sin of the world had been set on him to pay our price, that God turned away. And for the first time ever, ever, a man knew total separation from God. You've never known it. God's presence is here. Whether you call on him or not, you've never known what it's like. To be without the presence, the existence of God's influence in your life. And there Jesus is, and, and he's the first man ever to have dealt with this. Ever. And there he is, and it takes him by surprise. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he feels so desperately alone, but he knows the truth. He knows the plan. He knows the word. And that's why we see this incredible, beautiful thing happen at the next chapter. And here he is. We look at Luke 23, 46. 
Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. He wasn't feeling the arms of God holding him. He wasn't sensing Papa's presence in a special way. He did it completely by faith. The plan is for this not to end like this. He knew the other scriptures said he would not let his Holy One see corruption. He would not leave him in a place of death. He knew that. So he was able to boldly, without without all the tingly sins, without feeling the presence of Papa God in a special way, based on what Daddy said he would do, he expired. And he's quoting Psalm 31 there. says, In you, O Lord, I've taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. There he is being spit on. There he is being rejected. There he is being mocked. This is where he's quoting from. Never let me be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock. Be my fortress. Be my (coughs) a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead me and guide me. Free me from the trap that is set before me. The enemy thought he had him. For you are my refuge into your hands. I commit my spirit. Redeem me. Buy me back. O Lord, the God of truth. That's what he clung to. As his breath left him. Knowing that Papa God, this wasn't the end. This wasn't the end. It felt like the end. But it wasn't the end. Folks, Jesus stepped over from, from, from physical life into death and back into physical life again the same way you and I do by taking daddy's word that he'll do what he said he would do that's wow he did it he didn't cheat he didn't cheat at all he did it the exact same way see Jesus showed us how to live a life trusting God to do what he said he would do numbers 23 19 God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak it and then not act? Does he promise and then not fulfill? Sometimes things you can feel like you're in the dark. Sometimes you may even feel like crying out like like Jesus did. Lord, I feel disconnected. I feel forsaken. But Lord, I'm going to trust what you say anyways. Because 2 Corinthians 1.20 is so true that no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. They are yes in him, and by us, the amen is spoken. Amen means so be it. It's, it's, you've said we can have it, and we say let it be. That's our response. See, God loves us, and he has given us his word so that we might know that he cares for us and choose the life that he died to give us. Life is there for you. He paid the price. Now we choose to embrace that life. There are, we've talked about it over and over again. There are other influences. There is an, another plan. There's an enemy that hates your guts and has another narrative, even another story he wants to tell. But our choices can align with what God says and we take his word and say it is written and make our decisions based on that. That's what it is. That's what living a life of faith is. Taking God's word above all other else. Above all else. Well, what we want to do right now is create a moment where if you're here and you need to do that, you need to step over from death to life. 
you need to embrace what we talked about celebrating this morning with the communion. Say that, that he has forgiven and that, and that new life is so available in him. And if you're here and you need to say, you know what? I need death done for me. My sins deserve a death and I believe Jesus did it. And I want fresh life today based on what he did. And if that's you, I don't want anybody looking around. We'll create a quiet moment. If that's you, I want you to just raise your hand. 